0: Talking to Stephanie Smith, CEO and digital matriarch of Cogwheel Marketing, about who her agency helps. Stephanie, there are no shortage of marketing agencies in hospitality. What sets Cogwheel apart?
1: Our specialty is really working with branded hotels, primarily ones that operate as franchisees under Marriott, Hilton, IHG, and Hyatt, including all of their soft brands.
0: How do you replace a field marketing team from the brand or do you?
1: Every company is in a different journey on their digital marketing. Depending on where ownership or management company is, we're nimble enough we can meet them where their needs are. If they have somebody on their team that's doing digital marketing, we can certainly complement them given where their skill sets might lie.
0: What about focusing on direct bookings versus OTAs?
1: We like to look at it as a total online presence because, yes, we want to drive as much as we can for our book direct strategy. But we also have to realize that OTAs have huge marketing budgets. So it's really going to be hard for a hotel to compete with. So we use those tools when it makes sense. We have to really look at the data and say, okay, this is what's happening. And how do we adapt all of our digital marketing strategies to what's happening for that hotel in that market?
0: Welcome to the show. You know how people talk about the universe working in mysterious ways. Well, this episode is a terrific example of that. A few weeks ago, the top floor LinkedIn page crossed over 1000 followers. And I wanted to either send that 1000th person a gift or invite them to be on the show. The 1,000th follower was Mary Matson Qualiana, and she just so happened to be a perfect guest for an episode. Mary is a longtime hotelier. After many years as a corporate trainer for Rosewood Hotels, Mary became an executive coach and consultant. Further evidence of the universe at play, a week after I met Mary for the first time, somebody I know in a completely different context was raving about her executive coach and it turned out to be Mary. She launched her company, Curated Critique, with business partner Marcy Lieberman in May of 2022 with the goal of helping unique hotels operationalize their values and culture. Today, Mary and I are going to talk about how hospitality businesses can stop wasting money on branding and start putting their values into action. But before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and just about anybody else who has a burning question. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Lowe. Here's the question. How can I ask off work for a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? It would be six weeks, and I do not have that much PTO. Mary, something tells me you have a little bit of experience with this, both on the HR side and on the requester side. So what's your advice for low?
2: If it's truly a lifetime opportunity, you 100% take it. And you go in and explain how this opportunity not only benefits you, but the company. Um, because I'm going to guess whatever you're going to be experiencing will benefit the company as well. And if you're working for an employer who is aligned with your values and supports you both at the workplace and in your personal life, they'll probably be understanding. They will probably make sure there's some parameters around it, right? Because we can't just have everybody doing that. <laughs> However, it is a benefit. I'm sure there's an opportunity there for everybody. And it's cool. You never want to pass up an opportunity and I am a firm believer in that.
0: I love that advice. I I always say that the only thing I regret is not missing work one time to go to the Grand Canyon. I've still never been back. And that was like 25 years ago. So once in a lifetime opportunities, you never know what's going to happen. You got to take them. Mm -hmm. Or what it leads to next. Oh, good point. Good point. Mm -hmm. Your first hotel job... Just so happened to be at one of the most iconic properties I can think of, the Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Fellow Bemelman's Bar and Carlisle Hotel obsessives like me can hear more about that place in episode 30. Tell me all about that job.
2: You know, the Carlisle is truly legendary and it is an icon, um, just like the guests that stay there, the residents that live there the neighbors that come over for dinner every day because they consider that their dining room. And equally, the people that work there are legends. They have been there for not just 10 years, but 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And they are the ones who truly keep the story secret and then stick alive in the building just filled with so much nostalgia. But at the same time, nobody knows what really goes on there. And it's just (laughs) the coolest vibe that cannot be replicated. And I like to say that the Carlisle is going to be a hundred years old soon. And thinking about it that way, it's like taking a hundred seasons with 365 episodes on Netflix. Oh, wow. Because that place stories all the time. However, being one of those employees, people stay there because we're discreet and we don't talk about it.
0: Pending union negotiations while you were there, I think sort of precipitated your move into human resources and you never looked back. You spent seven years as the corporate director of learning and development for Rosewood. Along the way... You got to work on the Beijing Olympics in 2008, so that's where your great advice for low comes from. Yes. I need to know everything about that. How did you get it? What did you do while you were there? What was it like?
2: Yeah, you know, the Beijing Olympics really came at the a right time for me. It was the Summer Olympics, and it was the end of my property. Career at the Carlisle. And then I left there in July 08 and I started my corporate office job in September 08. So during that time, I was in Beijing and it was amazing. You know, what I benefited from that in so many ways. And so did the company because my exposure to that culture, the hotels that I was staying at, the hotels I was overseeing, you know, it's all that experience you get to just take and and run with. And so when I was over there, I was actually working for Jet Set Sports. And they're the hospitality sponsor for the Olympics at the time. And so they essentially take over all the hotels there. They create these packages and sell them to the potential guest. And so they want someone to represent them at the hotel. So I act as a hotel manager, um, the liaison between the guest and the actual hotel management team. But it was really interesting from when I got there until the games actually started was the beautification that China did. And one minute you see this old building and then the next day there's a wall with murals on it. And you're like, what, where am I? And then you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you're tripping over this flower pot in the way. And you're like, okay, that wasn't there five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was really interesting to see things like that. Sort of like a movie set. It was totally a movie set. You thought you were in Hollywood sometimes, and you know they shut down the factories in order to minimize the pollution and try to get the air cleaner um, before people arrived. So it was really fascinating, and I could go on and on and on about all the all the things and nuances and rules, um, but. That needs a glass of wine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I know you tried your very best to get out of the hotel business after the birth of your second child, (laughs) but you only lasted about 3 months before, like many of us, you got sucked right back in. What was it like to start your consulting and coaching business?
2: You know, I think hospitality is an innate quality in people and you never get rid of it. And you always circle back. And because it's the most fun industry, if you cannot have fun in hospitality, you can't have fun in life, period. <laughs> so, you know, I left my corporate job because I'm like, oh, I'll be a stay at home mom with two kids, 18 months and a newborn. Wow. That was a big change for me. You know, I've always been business minded. And I think three months later, I started getting the phone calls Hey, Mary, I heard you left. Do you want to do some project work? Yeah, of course. And I realized, that was a really welcome balance for my brain. I missed the strategic aspect of it, the creative aspect, and having adult conversations, to be honest. Um, Because otherwise, you're doing all the fun stuff and getting spit up on. And I embrace all of that as well. But it really helped my mindset and my headspace to have a balance of both. So... It went from a couple projects to, I think this is a whole business, which was really cool for me. So I got to do it on my own time and still be the mom and how I wanted to show up for my kiddos too.
0: The relationship that you have with the co-founder of Curated Critique is such a perfect example of how small our business is and how much it is built on relationships. Can you talk about how you built the relationship with Marcy and how you decided to go into business together?
2: Yeah, Marcy and I, man, we go back to 2004 when I first started the Carlisle, And that was my first job. A full-time job out of college. And she was a hotel manager. And I started in sales and marketing, but I moved to ops. So she was my direct boss for a bit. And I really loved how she led. She was fair. She was straightforward. There was no nonsense. She always made sure every all the standards were upheld. We never compromised anything. And she was promoted and left. She went to the Anasazi and was a managing director there. And then I'm like, ah, oh, gosh, it was tempting to go with her. She's like, Mary, on the train, you coming with us? And as much as I was like, Oh, I want to, I just felt like I wasn't done at the Carlisle. I wasn't done in New York. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to stay. So I ended up moving to the corporate office and five months after I got there, guess who showed up? (laughs) She was promoted and transferred to the senior director of ops. So that's, where we continue to build our relationship because we would travel everywhere together from new openings to operating properties to acquisitions and her being on the op side, me being on the training and development side, it always just worked. And so it's interesting because I don't think you get a lot, um, this a lot with people as far as where you can actually travel, work, And then still get off the plane and be like, "Hey, you want to go have dinner?" (laughs) And we did. Uh And and it was just—it's just a really unique um, relationship where you can do all those things with the same person. So she had her consulting company as well, and I had mine. And through discussions and with our clients and each other, we're like, "We're missing some. Something is missing in our industry because this keeps coming up." And we recognized that the values. And the culture aren't being lived. like They have not been operationalized. Their values have not been operationalized. And the traveler has shifted. The traveler is looking for unique experiences. They're looking for different options and opportunities. And they're not looking for a room with a view anymore. That is not what's happening. And so when you start looking at the properties and you're like, okay, you're saying this is who you are but how are you truly living it? And so we started Curated Critique to be the modern measurement of hospitality to specifically look at how have you operationalized your values to truly live your brand? Because you can have this whole amazing brand and invest all this money. And this is what we see properties doing. They're investing all this money. But then nothing happens with it. They don't take it down to actually be like, oh, this is how we do it in the kitchen. This is what the front desk should be. This is It just sits there. And so that's how we really got started and developed our relationship as far as being business partners.
0: I really love that phrase that you use about operationalizing your values or operationalizing your culture. Can Mm -hmm. you explain what that means, how that would play out and why the industry needs it? Like I'm thinking about QA audits, or I don't even know if this company still exists, but LRA inspections. Is it the same as that or is it something different?
2: A lot of those companies, as we know, what gets measured gets done. And all those companies tend to measure standards. And they come in with a book of 850 to 900 standards. And there's a place for that 100%. At the same time, we aren't measuring the values and the values alignment of your who. And it's never been done, which is why it's such a, a shift in mindset as far as, well, I don't understand what's that mean. Well, you say you're this, how are you really creating actions and behaviors around it? It's like this disconnect. To be the best is to be your best, not the best down the street and we're comparing it to our comp set. But what are you really doing that makes you stand out? What are you doing to be true to, true to yourself? So we kind of hold up that mirror in front of them. And it's not to say if it's right or wrong, good or bad, rather, are you truly living and breathing, uh, your DNA? Are you truly living and breathing the values that you have written on the wall in the cafeteria?
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So when you say that, do you mean if I'm a hotel and I say I'm quirky, but then I make everyone wear a tie that's out of balance? Is that sort of the type of thing?
2: Yeah. So that's a great example.
0: So if you're quirky,
2: okay, now we'll look at it in three aspects. How are you doing that from a service uh, experience and a product perspective, right? How are you bringing quirkiness to life? And if you're not doing it in those three ways, you know, we had a we had a company that said they offer distinct experiences. Okay, tell me more about that. They had nothing, right? (laughs) It kind of fell flat. And Mm -hmm. to say that's a really big statement. And so by taking that if your your tagline to be, that's fine. But what's truly distinct about your property or being quirky? How you want your employees to live. Um, So yes, taking that and operationalizing that.
0: I want to dig into an example that has been on my mind for some reason Mm -hmm. a lot lately. And that is the using the guest name a certain number of times during the check-in process. Like A lot of hotels, you have 2 or 7 or 3 or whatever it is times that you're supposed to hammer in that name... It's very common. It very much gets on my nerves. Why do you think that's a standard? Should it be? <laughs> what, like, how should people be doing that now?
2: Yeah. So, name usage is my favorite topic. <laughs> um, it's interesting because when I get calls about, hey, Mary, we need standards training, or we've been doing standards training and um, our scores aren't going up for, Our scores went down and Mary, you need to come do a training on how to use a guest name. Uh, Okay. So then I ask further questions in order to get some clarity. And 99% of the time as using a guest name. It's because the employees are not bought in or owning the culture and the DNA that the hotel is providing. So there's a huge disconnect between the culture and not living those standards that they're saying that they should be. But back to your original question, do I think that there needs to be a guest name standard of using it for 3 times during an interaction? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, The standards are being dictated by a measurement tool and a rating that the hotel wants to achieve. And it may not even align with their values, which is why it's so important to operationalizing. And so according to your brand and values... What does it feel like to greet a guest, right? What does that really feel like? If it's quirky, do you think of being quirky? Would be saying, you know, you have to use the guest name for three times during every. No, of course not.
0: Or to say Mrs. Barry, or do you know what I mean? Like use the formal title versus a first name. I mean, there's. It seems like such an a murky. It is. And it's because they're not looking. Some properties like,
2: oh, we want to have our own type of language or feeling of how we speak to the guest. Great. Pick it and go with it. So if you want to say, I want to high five every guest when they come in, make it. But that'd be a quirky thing. Right. That would align with your values.
0: But you don't have to do it every time. This sounds like a good time to take a break. When we come back, Mary and I are going to talk about working with a coach, updating dress code standards, and repairing damages with panache. Be right back. I'm chatting with Stephanie Smith from Cogwell Marketing about how her company helps branded hotels make the most of the marketing tools available to them. When do hotel owners or management companies engage Cogwheel versus working with a brand's internal marketing team?
1: We help a lot of hoteliers with openings and conversions. And that's a big, strong push for a short amount of time. For a lot of different management companies, we're handling their paid media, everything from their advertising in Cody, Google, social media, search and optimization, all of those things.
0: Something I hear from owners a lot is that the typical hotel digital marketing strategy is just about running OTA ads. How do you use that as part of your strategy without it being the only thing that you do?
1: OTA ads kind of fall into that Hail Mary bucket. So a hotel comes to us in the middle of the month and they say, hey, we're not going to meet budget, then we're like, Yikes. The only tool in our tool belt that you can run to effect in the month is running those OTA ads. It's really important to understand the flywheel of the entire customer journey. People tend to focus on the transaction where people actually make the booking. And while that's important, you have to understand the entire research process, what happens before, during, and after the booking to create a complete strategy.
0: We like to make sure that our listeners come away from every episode of the program with some practical and tangible tips that they can use either in their business, their personal lives, their travels, etc. I have used a few different executive coaches in the 14 years that I've owned Hive Marketing, which is my company, um, with varying results. Sometimes they were fantastic and I use some of those tools to the day. Sometimes I felt like I was really getting taken advantage of. So I've basically reached the point where I feel like I'm uncoachable, right? If someone is hiring a coach, what are some maybe a couple of questions or criteria to keep in mind to find the right fit to find the right person to work with.
2: Susan, I have to tell you, I'm trying hard not to go in coach mode because I hate <laughs> that you think you're uncoachable because as long as someone wants to be coached, 100% they're coachable. It's the ones who are like, I don't want to be coached. Then, you know, That's another
0: thing. I think that you just hit the nail on the head with uncoachable meaning unwilling, ungovernable to be coached (laughs) at this point. Right. Well,
2: listen, if you haven't had a great experience, that's totally understandable, right? So to your question, honestly, I really think the word coach has been diluted. Everyone is a coach now. Um, they take an online course and poof, they have a certificate. They go to a weekend and now they're a coach because they have a certificate. And it's just interesting because people are even trying to get creative with titles and they put "coach" in it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, how true is that? It's not. So first is making sure the coach is recognized by the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, um, and that means that they've gone through a rigorous program um, you have to be accredited school, you have to have uh, ongoing learning and credit hours and all of that. and honestly i I looked at this fact recently there's only 50,000 coaches throughout the world, one hundred and forty three countries that the ICF recognizes. So when you start to really separate everyone who's a coach versus what a coach truly is, it's completely separate. That's interesting. So that's my first recommendation. Secondly, it isn't necessarily what you ask them; it's what are the types of questions they're asking you. Okay, and are they getting to the core or the root? Have they asked anything thought-provoking where you finish that intro call and you're like, "Huh, I'm thinking about some the stuff differently." And and you know, the people I coach, they know nothing about me, mm-hmm. nothing. Because it's not about me and I'm not a mentor. So I can hear them tell me their stories and I can easily be like, oh, I have a good one. But I don't get into that box with them. Mm -hmm. It's not about me. It's about them and what's the best way. So I think also sometimes we say mentorship and coaching experience and becomes the same. You really have to keep it separate. So really listen to the questions they ask and if they're getting in your box with you. And I guess the last thing is really your gut. Like, what's your intuition say? Do you think you have a connection with this person? Do you think you could trust the person? Because to have a really good coaching relationship, you have to trust and trust quickly. Because that's how you get the results to your success. Because if you don't, and you're only kind of like, oh, I'll tell them this, or you know, maybe they're gonna judge me on that. Like, this is a neutral zone. There is zero judgment when we're coaching. I've heard way too many things to judge people, and it's not about what I think. And so by keeping that trust in the forefront of your mind, like, can I trust this person? And hopefully yes is the answer in order to move forward. But those are my three big thoughts on that.
0: That's really good advice. I'm going to switch gears to curated critique. Mm -hmm. What are a couple of ways that a hotel leader could like finish up this episode, walk into her hotel and evaluate whether or not... Values are operationalized? Are there rules of thumb or a test?
2: Yeah. If you want to do it more immediately, you can go on TripAdvisor. Just go on TripAdvisor and see what it says. And let me give you an example. We had a client who, you know, we were doing a critique with them, and they said, you know, our employee, we spent a lot of branding and we've defined our employee as intuitive, engaging, proactive, and two other words or five words. And we're like, okay, great. And when we went, Their staff was nice and friendly. They're like, well, let's go look at TripAdvisor. Their scores were great. The comments were. The employees were nice and friendly. Well, that's not how they're defining their employees. They're defining their employees as intuitive, engaging, proactive. The comments written did not describe any of those, not just by words, but by examples of what the, the guest gave. And you're like, okay, they just had a good trip. And so when you don't see things written that support your values, that's a really good check. A quick check to say, "Mm, we're doing a good job, but we're not living our brand.
0: That's really good advice. What do you think are some signs that a hotel or a brand needs to bring in an outside expert to help with culture building? I think it's
2: interesting really when... We get the phone calls about standards, like I mentioned earlier, and Mary, they're not answering the phone within three rings, or they're not using the guest name. And how come they're not doing it? And it's because they're not bought in. And if you see your standards slipping and all those scores and metrics that you're used to, that's where you need to start digging deeper. Because again, we don't do rocket science. We don't do brain surgery, using a guest name, answering the phone within three rings. Okay, so what's the root cause? And the root cause is probably your culture, your DNA, and your values. And we need to focus on those first before we get to the standards because the standards are a byproduct of your culture. So when that culture is being lived and those people are loving it and feeling it, they will use that guest name or high-five them or however you define (laughs) recognizing them in that quirky world.
0: So speaking of the high-five, I'm curious about this... Based on your history, starting your career at the Carlisle mm-hmm. and now working with hotels where the greeting is a high five. Yeah. Do you think that the hotel business has gotten too casual since you started? I sort of have mixed feelings about this. Oh, too
2: casual. Well, honestly, I don't miss wearing pantyhose and closed-toe shoes. Word. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I am happy we have evolved a bit. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny. There was a girl we were getting ready to hire for a catering manager and I loved her. She was awesome. Spot on. She almost didn't get the job because she wore boots to the interview circa 2005. My word. That wasn't a thing yet. Mm -hmm. That was a big stretch. And we hired her because I'm like, I'm not losing her boots. (laughs) And I talked to her. She's like, Oh my God, thank you. I, I, I won't wear them. She didn't. She totally fine. But imagine losing a great candidate. So I really believe what is that vibe of the property, right? That's how it should be reflected. So if it's casual, whether it's being first names only, you embrace that and you say, I've gone to a property recently and they only use my first name. They do a lot of text communication, emails, only using my first name. I'm fine with that, right? The whole vibe of that place warrants that. But again, we have um, you know people that live by the credo of the Ritz-Carlton where ladies and gentlemen, I think it'd be weird if I got high five there. (laughs) It doesn't fit the culture. And again, it's not right or wrong. It's that's how they want to live. And that's totally fine as well. It's just making sure you know who you are as a property in order to execute that level, whether it's too casual or too stuffy. There's something out there for everybody.
0: I think the issue is in the messy, undifferentiated middle of branded mm-hmm. hotels that don't have clear personalities. yep, and this thing keeps getting coming in my mind like, you know, if you listen to my show or you meet me in person, especially if you hear how much I cuss on the regular, you would never believe. How much of a dress code cop I was when I was on (laughs) property, right? (laughs) And I still have a little bit of that in me. Like if I go to an upper upscale branded hotel and all the staff is wearing jeans and nobody has, you know, anything to sort of uh, signify that they have the authority to fix a problem for me, I'm a little put off by that. But I don't... I think I'm... I'm wrong. Like I think I'm the making the wrong call here and it's maybe just the emerging old lady in me coming <laughs> out. <laughs> well, it's interesting though, right? I mean,
2: it's how do people want to be perceived or are they trying to empower anyone to be able to solve that problem so you don't have to find that figure in the suit and tie to make it happen? You know, it was inter- I was um, talking about using your name. Again, it doesn't matter to me if you use it three times, eight times, whatever, it's more about if you're going to ask for my name, I'm just curious, how you are going to use it? And I went for my annual physical the other day and I got to the desk and they're like, my name's Anne, and yours. And I was like, <laughs> awkward. I was like, wow, they must've just went through training.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also the part of... You give you all of this information to one person and then there's no passing of the baton. Yes. Like don't just don't ask my name then if you're not gonna tell anybody else what it is or you know make me do yes. all this stuff all over again. It drives me crazy. Crazy. I know. Okay, well, we have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. So okay. we're going to predict the future. You know, maybe we'll come back later and see if we were right or wrong. Okay. What is one prediction you have about the future of executive leadership?
2: I think we've started to put our toe in it, but we haven't taken the whole leap into that pool as far as really focusing on self leadership, right? We talk about managing others and leading others. But it's like the old saying where we judge others on their behaviors and ourselves on our intention. And we always tend to give ourselves a pass because we can validate why we didn't get it done. And if we can start focusing on how we're truly validating our behavior, that's how we need to start focusing on accountability, making sure we're getting our stuff done. Because once we can manage ourselves and lead ourselves, the rest is easy. Mm -hmm. So I think really putting it inward. And the other part to that too is really brain health and really understand the neuroscience of how our brain's made up, the the why behind why we're like this and how we're like this. And so I think it's just to take it a little bit deeper than that. I think that's where we're going.
0: So will you say a little bit more about the brain science part? I've never heard anyone in your shoes say something like (laughs) that. And I'm on the edge of my seat.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting. Um, You know, I think mental health is this whole hot topic right now. And I recently read a book and it's so good because they really changed it from mental health to brain health. And you just think, so differently when you hear that somehow yes stigma goes away and it feels good right we take um care of our bodies we don't think about going to the doctors we just do it because that's what we've always done since we we're infants and looking at our brain differently and not just a stigma and saying okay this is who I am how are we going to learn from that just like we learn how to run fast or learn how to jump over something um, so, I mean, there's so much to it. That could be a whole nother conversation <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but I think brain health and being having that awareness um, is really important. I think it will start showing up.
0: I'm officially replacing mental health with brain health moving forward, mm-hmm. starting immediately. Okay, yeah. if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the check-in process across the board at hotels, what would it be?
2: I know this has started slowly. I hate front desks. I hate anything that puts a barrier between you and the guest, whether you're at the front desk or checking in at the spa, or you're at a restaurant and they have that horrible podium or some kind of fixture there, which honestly only um, holds the menus or your electronic device to check someone in. Because as soon as you put a barrier in between people, you change the connection and the energy. So by removing it, you keep having that energy flow and that connection. And it's just like, if we're here talking, and also you put a desk in between us, the vibe changes. It doesn't feel the same. So I think you remove barriers in any aspect, not just the front desk, anywhere. like Be in front of someone, be connected, not putting some weird... Because honestly, it's a crutch. It's a crutch. It's a crutch because you feel comfortable because there's something in front of you. In case you screw up, you can look down and stare at that computer. Or you can stare down and look at your iPad and
0: get rid of it. You're good. (laughs) Like This is why people are here because of you. What is next for you and what's next for your company? You know,
2: I think the word I always like to use is velocity, where it's speed and forward motion. And we just want to get out there and really move this forward because we just see such a need. With that being said, we also understand it's new. Like this doesn't... This is not something that has happened in our industry before. So there's a lot of education about curated critique and measuring your values and understanding why that's so important. We know that. We know that there's going to be this huge educational shift, but really continuing to spread the word and working with companies that get it and want to be their best and want to be quirky or different or not be put into a box. And that's what we want to focus on.
0: Okay, folks, before we tell Mary goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Mary, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock?
2: this This is interesting, I guess. I have so many stories and there's so many I can't actually tell. I'm going to give you an example of one time it was at the Carlisle, actually, even though I've worked a lot of other places. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it always kind of goes back to the Carlisle. It's such a, a unique place. There was this drunk man and he fell into the side of the wall at the Carlisle and there's a vitrine and the vitrine is that glass enclosure that might have, I don't know, um, products in there, or a menu, or something that you can see. Oh, I never and knew that's shattered. what it was called. Yes, a viatrine. So it shattered, and the whole part of the wall was just a mess. Mm. And of course, we don't like that at the Carlisle. <laughs> we we have an image to maintain, and so our engineers were on it like this. So the next morning meeting, we got there, and you know, we had this incident. But look, it's perfect again. Our managing director lit into all of us like lit in. And he goes, yeah. So it looks exactly how it did before. Yep. He goes, why would we do that? (sighs) Uh, Okay. Why did we do that? he He goes, no one took the opportunity to step back and say, if we have to redo this, why are we not doing it differently? And can we do it better? Oh, wow. And so that has always stuck with me. And he was 100% correct, but we're so busy trying to fix it that we did not say, um, gosh, you know, we're really pet friendly. How come we couldn't put something down closer to the pet level or the kid level or do something up here? We just fixed it. And so I live by that scenario daily. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we look at it differently and not just fix it? There's clearly a way we can do something better or improve it, or I don't know just have a different thought process. So that's something that I always like to share with people um, about thinking about things differently and not just fixing the problem.
0: I love that story. Mary Matson, qualiana thank you so much for being here. I know that everyone got a ton of great insights from our conversation. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with me. Thank
2: you so much. Oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure, Susan. And I am thrilled that I was your 1,000th follower on LinkedIn. I will forever be um, excited about that and to (laughs) celebrate with you.
0: I am finishing up my mini interview with Stephanie Smith, CEO of Cogwheel Marketing. Stephanie, on LinkedIn and in your newsletter, you use the hashtag always be learning, which I love and I wish I thought of myself. How does that play out in your company culture?
1: This is both an internal and external mantra for our company. Internally is how we collaborate with our team members. It also comes into play with the people that we hire to be on our team. Externally, it plays out into the blogs that we write. The newsletters that we send out on their different educational journey, and if we can meet them where they are, then it's going to give digital marketing a seat at the commercial strategy table.
0: You are really focused on making sure that you continually update the tools in your toolbox. What is the latest new thing you've learned about and implemented for Cogwheel Marketing clients?
1: It's funny you talk about tools in your toolbox. Is a term that I use a lot with our team because in the digital marketing space, there's probably 100 different things that you can do. There's been a lot of talk around moving into a cookieless world. We've been doing a lot of testing with first-party data to run campaigns that are, instead of throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks, we've been more intentional about segmenting and understanding who we really want to go after. We've been testing device ID targeting, So we can really understand where guests have been going, understanding their patterns, who's in market, and then playing that to target people that have stayed at your competitor hotels to really bring awareness to a specific asset.
0: To learn more about Stephanie's company, listen to Episode 19 or visit cogwheelmarketing.com. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 86. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen.
2: Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.